Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's the guy who totally wants a bunch of cards banned. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, a couple of my friends got married this past weekend and the ceremony was so touching, even the cake was in tears. (laughs) There's a lot of levels to that joke, so if you don't get it right away. I Oh, the double dad joke? I stacked it up pretty well, yeah. The triple jack. Okay, we need to move on. Anyway, up next, he totally wants a whole bunch of cards to form a band. That's Dana Roach. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? I, I was just reading a bunch of Twitter conversation about Jeweled Lotus. Um, but I can start whenever I'm ready. Just, just, well, just start this over. I'll be good to go. Dana, are you eating popcorn? Is that what you're it's doing? very. It's all very entertaining. I it has been a bit of a spectacle. Anyway, this is the EDH Retcast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data just a little bit more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we are talking about this week? Well, we're not going to talk about Jeweled Lotus because it wasn't banned, but we're going to talk about cards that were banned in other formats and how they translate into Commander. That we are kind of inspired by all of the hubbub that happened, all of the um, the internet conversation that Dana is watching. He just got a bowl of popcorn to watch people talk about it because it was quite a bit. And also, like, all of the talk about, all of the discourse about Jeweled Lotus will be, like, well past, I think, by the time that this episode airs, like, it's a week and a half out from when we're actually. It'll be two it, days but. after all that discuss- discussion in an internet time. That's like three sure. years in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is also, it kind of got us thinking about cards that were banned, but not in EDH, cards that were banned in other formats and what their popularity looks like in EDH. So that's what we'll be talking about here in this episode is seeing where those other cards from other formats have landed in our favorite format. But before we get to that main topic, which should be a whole lot of fun, we do want to give a huge, huge, huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone. That's Josh Lequay and the entire team at Command Zone. They do all of the post-production work on our podcast and make it look as nifty and spiffy as it does. It's awesome. So thank you guys so much. And of course, thank you to our sponsors for the cast as well. Our awesome sponsors. So if you want to get anything from Commander Legends, the set is coming out soon and very soon. You can head over to cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC, or you can click on any of these price links for cardkingdom.com or tcgplayer.com. Both of them are great sponsors. They help bring the show to all of you out in listener land. But you can support the show by just by shopping and buying any of these awesome Commander Legends cards. You can just click the price link on any card that you're looking to purchase. That'll take you right to your vendor of choice, and you can purchase the cards that you're going to purchase anyways, but you support the show in the pro- in the process, and we definitely appreciate all of that. So thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, 
Card Kingdom, and TCG Player. Mm-hmm. And another way you can support the show is by going to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have multiple different tiers you can join at. Um, you can get a shout out on the show like we're going to get right now for Patreon supporter Charlie Deeks. So we do one of those every single week, but you can join our Discord and talk to us. You can uh, contribute dad jokes. You can contribute cards for challenge the stats. You can get merch. There's a whole bunch of different tiers. So if you want to support us, that's another way you can do it. And if you want to see us play with some of the cool cards we got on Card Kingdom or got from TCG Player, you can go to twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. You can find us every Wednesday night there at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific with a wonderful guest each and every week playing our decks online for your enjoyment. Yeah, indeed. And the Charlie, thank you so much. Shout out to you. Thanks for being a awesome supporter. All right, fellas, let's get into our main topic now. We're talking about cards that are banned in other formats. So we're looking at the current banned list for standard, for historic, for modern, for things even like vintage. And we're going to look and see where those cards that were banned in those other formats fell in EDH and whether the power that they represent in those other formats also applies to our format. And uh, Matt, we may need a little bit of help from you since you are, of the three of us, the person who actually plays other constructed formats, whereas Dana and I, we we just kind of don't even understand why people (laughs) play formats other than Commander. Well, I, I'm more than happy to lend my expertise with my my whole pro point. Um, <laughs> more more than happy to. But yes, I, I I was the person who kind of brought the I play sixty card formats to the podcast, so I'm more than happy to to bring some of that perspective over. Um, and one thing to keep in mind too, as we go throughout all these lists, we're not going to talk about the entire ban list for every format right. because some of those cards they just don't translate well, and people don't play them in Commander. So we're really going to talk about the ones that do get you know any sort of you know mentionable play in Commander. Right. Right. Yeah. We don't want to go, you know, combing through every single card on those ban lists because based on the past couple of years of standard, who knows, that could be a whole lot of cards that we would have to look through. So that, we just want to talk true. about the most popular ones. Uh, and actually, let's get to it. Let's start off with standard. Matt, I'm going to throw this back to you. What are some of the cards that we're seeing that are banned in standard and where do they sort of fall within EDH? Well, the first two cards that I, I think we should talk about are two that were kind of the biggest problems while they were in standard. Um, and that's going to be Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, and Om. Nath Locus of Creation. So blue and green going together just seems to be kind of a problem as we'll talk about in a lot of these cards. Um, Uh But but both of these were just incredible threats in standard. Uh, They both drew you a card. They both got you ahead on resources on several different fronts. And they're just, it's just very, very powerful to be doing when you only have one opponent that you have to worry about. Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, drew you a card, put a land into play, and also gained you some life, and then you can just cast it over and over again from your graveyard. So it's really hard to get rid of. And then Omnath Locus of Creation enters the battlefield, you draw a card, and then whenever you play lands, you just get more and more effects and more bonuses that just stack up so quickly, and it's just so hard to overcome. But when we look at those cards in Commander, they don't really translate that great when it comes to numbers, but I think there's a few factors in there. So Omnath Locus of Creation is currently played in 1,058 decks, um, and that's just as a commander. That's not even counting the amount of decks that it goes into in the 99. And then you also have Uro, which is in 603 decks, but I think a big reason for that was 
Standard players just gobbled this card up and it was so expensive, so nobody could really play it all that much in Commander. That absolutely tracks. And what's so important about these in particular is that they fall into this, you know, landfall strategy. And like the way to punish a landfall strategy, especially in a one-on-one -on -one format, is to pressure their life total while they're taking a whole bunch of time getting a bunch of resources. Mm -hmm. So for these to give you back the life that you need to actually make it to that endgame where you can abuse as many lands as you've got, like man, why do these let you draw cards? Man, why do these let you gain life? Like these things, they, they did some work in their constructed formats. It was, it was very, very hard to play red on Arena when both of these cards were legal. Right. The, the important difference though, I think, I, I mean, I think that's why they were strong for sure. The difference in why they're strong there versus why they're, they're, they're not as strong in Commander and CLS play is because they were really the only thing that did that in Standard. Right. Like if you want to ramp and get that card in the same package, Uro does that, and if you, if if your opponent wants to do a similar thing, their choice is playing Euro. Mm -hmm. If you want to do that in EDH, you have a whole ton of other options. So you're looking at a, a card in standard that did a really really singular thing that was difficult for your opponent to do without playing the same card. That's not true in Commander. Yeah, I absolutely agree that it, Commander is all about resource accumulation to begin with, and that's what these cards do very, very well. So when you're doing that in a 60-card format where it's about resource management and trying to navigate those types of scenarios, when it starts turning that into you know accumulating so many different resources, that's when it gets out of hand in 60-card formats where we're already doing that on so many different ways, like you just said, Dana. That's a, I, I love that point. Yeah. Well, you know, those were not the only cards that are currently banned in standard. There's nope. there's a couple of other ones, including the very famous the the thief, the elk maker himself. Another card that we are seeing banned in standard right now is Oko, Thief of Crowns, the Simic Planeswalker who can turn things into elks and then also I think can make food and then also I think can switch control of things. But the main point is that it permanently turns things into elks and that's just absolutely bonkers insane for those four. He goes up in loyalty to defend himself and it's absolutely crazy. Curiously, Oko's popularity in EDH is only about like 6% of the eligible decks that can play him. Shows up in, you know, 6,700 or so. I feel like that's low for a Planeswalker that experienced that much impact in literally every other format. Like we're just talking about cards that are banned in standard right now, but Oko's banned in a lot of other places too. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, Oko's an absolute bomb in other formats where your opponent has a finite amount of ways to deal with Oko and the threat it takes out is always going to be the biggest threat to you on the board. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're removing your opponent's best piece and they have limited ways to, to then deal with your Oko. In Commander, there's three people there, so there's a lot more threats, first of all, for you to deal with, and removing one threat actually might be something the other two players want you to do. Right. Um, so you're, yeah. you're helping them in some situations. Additionally, there's a lot more ways to deal with Planeswalkers in Commander, just in terms of the sheer amount of spells we've had over the years, but you also have twice as many players, therefore twice as many creatures um, that have a chance, well, not even twice, three times as many technically, that can then swing at that Oko and take out if it becomes a problem. So Planeswalkers just in general are way weaker in Commander than they are in 1v1 formats. Yeah, well, and in Commander, paying three mana and whatever the price tag is on Oko, I believe it's $20 or so right now, for what essentially becomes a repeatable beast within, you turn some best creature that they have into a 3-3. Three, three. 
that mm-hmm. doesn't really carry over great. Like it's still fine. It's still a powerful effect. Beast Within and, and Generous Gift. Those types of cards are, are very, very good. But putting this on a stick, like it, the price tag really isn't worth it unless you're in some of the most high powered, you know, play groups that you have. Yeah, I, I mean, I would dare say it's not a good card in Commander for the most part. Really? Yeah. Now that's that's interesting. I feel like it actually still has plenty of play because the repeatable, you know, the permanence of this, like mm-hmm. it's still it, it's a nuisance, and that I think gives it some power in my eyes. But it's certainly nowhere near the power level factor that it had in all of the one-on-one formats. Like that is definitely an unequal proposition there. Like it, it's nowhere near that level, but it is still, I feel like it's not a bad one for us to be having. But per- perhaps bad isn't the right word. Perhaps the, it's not good enough to crack most 100s. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I do have a Simic Super Friends deck that I worked on for a little bit and I am purposefully not including Oko for a lot of the reasons that you guys have mentioned. So, you know, well spotted there. Um, moving on to some other cards banned in standard, I want to talk briefly about the card Fires of Invention because I think that that's kind of an interesting one with where it falls in, in EDH in particular. That's the red enchantment that lets you cast spells only on your turn and I think it restricts you to only two spells per turn, but you can cast your spells for free if its mana cost is equal to or uh, less than the number of lands that you have this thing was pretty insane in the uh, in standard format because it could basically help you fix your colors and cast a bunch of free stuff and then you could leave up your mana to do anything else that you wanted with it like using activated abilities of lands or creatures and things like that which is pretty nutso but here in commander it only shows up in like 1600 decks that's a pretty big disparity yeah i mean fires of invention is just blatantly cheating in 60 card formats like being able to (laughs) double your mana every turn it, it it's the, the play the patterns that it encouraged are kind of like a card that we'll talk about here in a minute, but just the fact that you're able to double up on spells the turn that you play it and, and double your mana, that's mm. pretty insane in a 1v1 format. In multiplayer, it's easier to take care of, even though it's an enchantment, but even then, it's, it's all about casting you know all these massive spells, so only being able to get two five-mana spells the next turn, that's not near a big of a deal in Commander. Right. It actually is a significant restriction in this format because we're already pretty good on the color fixing, most likely. And we're probably casting all of those crazy spells possibly for free to begin with. So that benefit isn't quite nearly worth the restriction. Well, or, or at least if not free, you have access to literally every mana rock ever printed. And most decks right. are running, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 of them. So you have the equivalent of that amount of mana oftentimes by the time you play Fire's Invention without the restrictions. Right, right. Yeah, it's like, oh, I want to cast two spells basically like almost for free, whatever. I'll play a race card's expertise. Like I get sure. basically yeah. more than one spell's worth out of that card right there. So, yeah. Or, right. or you'll uh, just have 12 mana available from your mana rocks right. and you can just cast the spells and have extra mana left and not be restricted. And yeah, so. Right. There you go. All right, Dana, take us through. There are two more cards that are also banned and standard that we kind of want to address here, too. We have two oddball ones. We have Escape from the Wilds and Once Upon a Time, um, which are basically cards that let you dig down into your library to find a specific piece for your deck. Um, Both made your deck in standard way more consistent and made finding your lines way more consistent and finding your correct pieces of land way more consistent than they wanted you to be able to do. in Commander, number one, you already have a ton of ways to do that, so these really didn't didn't stand out in, in our format. 
and being able to find in a 60 card deck find one of four copies of a specific card you want is much easier than it is to find one copy of a card in a 100 card deck mm -hmm. so the impact is is not only are they competing for slots with you know every card ever printed but their their impact and what they're going to do isn't the same thing just based on the size of the decks and the fact that we're a singleton format. Yeah, Escape to the Wilds pretty much turns into a draw five in standard. But like you said, we have Rishkar's expertise. We have so many just incredibly powerful draw engines, especially in green these days that Escape to the Wilds just doesn't really stack up. It's still a fine card. I'm, I, I wouldn't sure. be surprised if I saw it. But at the same time, like, it was bannably good because if you're just casting, you know, five more spells than this turn and the next in standard, that's pretty crazy in some of the decks that were built to abuse it. Yeah, very much. All right. So that was a brief walk through standard, but let's move on now. Let's talk about the historic format. Matt, what are some of the cards that we're seeing in historic that got banned historically, but here in EDH, we're kind of like, ah, I don't know, give or take. What's going on there? So control is a very popular archetype in in 60 card formats that is a little bit harder to pull off and there are two cards that are banned in historic that control players absolutely love uh nexus of fate and teferi time raveler uh, nexus of fate is that just the if you've watched uh i believe it's uh alien trazi's stream you'll you'll know his disdain for nexus of fate having it looped against him infinitely and just dragging a game out um, it's just you take an extra turn you shuffle it back into your library and that's whenever it goes anywhere it's just such a hard card to get rid of it kind of has that, has that uh uh Eldrazi Titan type of clause where when it goes to the graveyard, just shuffle back in, doesn't really matter. And then Teferi Time Raveler just makes it very, very hard for you to interact with anybody really at any given time and make sure that your opponents can only cast spells uh, whenever they could cast a sorcery. Then you can tick up and you can cast pretty much any sorcery spell whenever you want to. So it's it's just it's such a hard spell to to navigate in 60 card formats but they don't really translate that well into Commander. Uh, only 9% of decks that are playing blue and white are playing to fairy time raveler about 9,000 decks total and the next of fate about 9,000 decks as well but only four percent of blue decks it hasn't really been adopted all that well I think it's just because there there are better extra turn spells. Nexus of Fate, I can totally agree with you. I feel like Teferi's numbers are actually still pretty respectable there at the 9% eligibility, but his effect is also not wholly unique in the commander format either. We've got effects like Grand Abolisher, for example, mm -hmm. that also says people can't do stuff on your turn. Teferi's a little bit more far-reaching than that, but he's also got other versions like his very first iteration, the creature version from Time Spiral, also restricts enemies um, from casting stuff at instant speed. And then there's also, I believe, the green creature Dosen the Fallen Leaf, which also prevents people from doing stuff. If not that, there's like a ton of other different types of cards that can also produce the same effect. So it is less unique in Commander than it is in a whole bunch of other formats where it just turns off your opponent's ability to have interaction, which can be really, really mean. But we've got so many other different types of abilities for that here in Commander, I suppose. Um, Teferi is a perfect example of a card where the multiplayer aspect of Commander makes the concept of threat um, exist in a way it doesn't in other formats. Yeah. In another format in 1v1 when someone drops a Teferi, they are always at all times probably going to want to remove that. It, it's a powerful, strong card, and that person's just always trying to kill you anyway. In Commander, that isn't the case. You are not always the target. You are not always the threat. You are not always the person people are trying to remove. 
But when you play a Teferi and you suddenly start messing with everyone's spells, that simultaneously turns all heads towards you. Right. And that's not a thing that exists elsewhere. So that's probably in part keeping this card in check because it's one of those spells that when you play it and hits the board, everyone starts gunning for you. Yeah. In Commander, it seems like one of those cards that you use specifically because you know you're about to combo off that turn and you don't want anyone else to mess with you. And that also kind of reminds me of another card that we're seeing that was banned in Historic, Veil of Summer. This is the one mana green instant that draws a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell on their turn and also can give your stuff hexproof from those colors. This has been called the one mana green cryptic command because it draws you a card and basically blanks an opponent's spell. This thing was absolutely insane. In EDH, its applicability is a little bit different because it mostly seems to be showing up in competitive lists. Uh, you know, the most popular commanders that we're seeing with it definitely tend to be competitive commanders such as Selvala, Heart of the Wilds, or, you know, partner pairings with Rassios, the Gitrog monster, that sort of thing. Even if you're not playing it competitively, though, like, this is still an impressive card and you're probably going to see a blue or a black player somewhere at any random pod just to randomly draw a card from this thing. So it's a really, really impressive card um, that is shocking to see at an uncommon in constructed formats is I guess what I'll say. And if it tells you anything too about its power level, this is an uncommon, like you said, Joey, it's a $9 uncommon. A $9 if you go to cardkingdom.com slash EDH rec, <laughs> you can spend $9 on, on, on Veil of Summer. Oh no. Okay, Matt, tell us about other cards that were banned in Historic. That was delightful. <laughs> well, so an entire deck kind of got banned out of, uh, out of Historic. It was the Winota Joiner of Forces deck. And this was... Kind of a combo deck, kind of an aggro deck, kind of a just mess with everybody deck. Um, so Winota is that Boros legendary creature. Uh, whenever a non-human creature attacks, you can look at the top five cards of your library, and you can put a human creature onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. Uh, it was very, very easy to abuse this. But what also got banned out of that deck was what you would cheat into play with Winota, and that is Agent of Treachery, which is uh, five blue-blue, so a seven-mana card was banned because of a Boros card, so riddle me that. (laughs) But whenever Agent of Treachery enters the battlefield, you gain control of target permanent, and then at the beginning of your end step, if you control three or more permanents you don't own, you draw three cards. So it was very, very easy and historic to just cheat out three Agents of Treachery with Winota, um, and it was very hard to interact with any of these things because you know, it was just happening so fast. So both of those cards were banned. Uh, Agent of Treachery is actually played in 9,000 decks. So 4%, you know, we're seeing about the same numbers as we are with Nexus of Fate. And then Winota um, has 779 decks to her name. So it's, it's kind of cool to see Winota getting a decent amount of Boros love in the Commander format. Yeah, I'm, I still have yet to personally see Winota do the thing the way that I, I know a lot of other folks have had good experience with Winota. I, I still have yet to see it. Agent of Treachery, I got to say, though, I'm I'm surprised that the numbers are low on that one. That thing's it's obnoxious. That It is so mean. And if you blink it and if you multiply the ETB effects of that one, it draws you cards for stealing stuff like that card seems like it deserves. I'm not going to challenge this, but I, I feel like this one's powerful enough to justify seeing more than its current uh, popularity. Um, you know, I, I think this is a situation where it's just enough competition. Sure. Um, although, you know, the price on things like Gilded Drake have gone through the roof. So I guess maybe that is no longer a competition because that's just unaffordable. But um, mm. there's, you know, every steel effect ever is available in Commander and maybe you don't want to be paying one that costs this much mana when you have options elsewhere that are cheaper. Gotcha, yeah. But Dana, you don't have to pay the mana cost. You can just put it in a Jeskai deck with Winota, cheat it out, <laughs> True. and you're you're playing Historic. There we go. 
There it is. All right. Uh, there's two more cards that I think are of really interesting note that were banned in Historic. Those are the cards Wilderness Reclamation, which is the enchantment that untaps your lands on your end step. And there's also Field of the Dead, the magnificent land that makes zombies when you get a whole bunch of lands. I love Field of the Dead so stinking much. That thing shows up in 17,000 decks, nearly 18,000 decks. This land is beautiful. I love this land so much. It hurts, but not me. It doesn't hurt me that I love it so much. It hurts my co-host because I <laughs> <laughs> use it against them and it's really really wonderful play it in landfall decks it's great um do, do, it's do you use it do you use it on twitch.tv slash edh <laughs> when you use it against us uh, indeed indeed oh, i do okay. uh, wilderness reclamation is kind of an interesting one to see I, i'm actually a little surprised to see that it is also showing up in over sixteen thousand decks here because it kind of just strikes me as like a not as great Seedborn Muse kind of effect. I think what might be going on there, though, is this that like Seedborn Muse is such a pricey card nowadays that this is a really great budget uh, alternative to it. So it's another way to help supplement that particular type of strategy. It can be very controlling in EDH as well. And the effects do stack. So if you want one badly enough, true, you maybe well maybe do want two. Yeah. And especially decks that have a commander that has some kind of an activated ability that you can like just spam the mana into. Um, people tend to just want to dump as much as they can into that. Things like Kenrith. The return king for example yeah very true very all right very good point all right sweet so we've talked about historic but now matt take us to pioneer so heading into pioneer we actually have kind of the backbones for a lot of the the high level high functioning commander mana bases fetch lands as far mm. as the uh, the onslaught fetch lands as some people might know them that's the the bloodstained mire the flooded strand the you know pay one life tap them sacrifice them you can search up a, a mountain slash swamp if you will for for bloodstained mire or a plains slash island for for uh, flooded strand that entire cycle is banned uh, they were banned out of pioneer because it just took so long it gave people really good access to all their colors kind of the reason that we like them so much in commander um, mm -hmm. but they're you know polluted delta for example is played in 14 percent of commander decks it's played in zero percent of pioneer decks because the whole thing's banned <laughs> <laughs> well but you hit the nail yeah. on the head matt that the fixing if you have access to both shock lands and fetch lands and four copies of each mm -hmm. um in a 60 card deck you can just run a three color deck oftentimes a four color deck just thoughtlessly yep. like you have the mana to do that and you can splash just for one single card and they just didn't want you doing that in this format yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I th these are, of course, a huge staple of especially landfall decks here in Commander. So of all of the cards that we will be talking about that have, you know, experienced popularity in EDH, these are, of course, like near the top of the ticket. Not quite number one. We'll get to that later. But they are a huge staple of the format. And I do wish that they were just a little bit cheaper, but that is just me. Um, what else are we seeing in Pioneer there, Matt? Well, weirdly enough, we have one card that it sees a decent amount of play. Um, Smuggler's Copter, the old looter scooter. It's two mana for <laughs> a, a, a flying artifact vehicle. Um, whenever it attacks or blocks, uh, you can draw a card, then you can discard a card. and has a crew of one cost, and it's a 3-3. Three, three. Um, it's just a very, very good card filtering effect. I play that actually in my Valduck deck, just because it's a way to, to tap my creatures. Um but it doesn't really translate near as well in Pioneer. In Pioneer, it just gives you so much carded velocity and just getting through your deck. Um, it's really hard to keep up with. Whereas in Commander, I'm not sure if it really is that important to just draw one and just loot one every turn. 
Yeah, you've got to be really dedicated. I think like King Makar, for example, who wants mm-hmm. ways to get tapped or Calamax might use vehicles as well to try and find a way to get tapped for free without having to attack. So vehicles can be useful there. But yeah, it only shows up in like 1% of eligible decks Smuggler's Copter does in EDH. So not as huge here because the three mana flying in the air to loot, eh, like it's so crazy that we can look at a two mana three three with flying that lets us draw and discard a card and in this format we're like eh, you know like, I, I think amazing. you put it very very well joey eh. Eh, it's fine know. it but there yeah. there are definitely more exciting things you can be doing yeah uh and then also sort of wrapping up pioneer the last couple of cards that we want to talk about here dana take us through them because we're looking at a whole bunch of cards that seem at first i didn't quite know we, why matt wanted to group these all together um but it's because they do some combo things apparently so dana what else is banned in pioneer and what kind of combos are they up to so we're looking at underworld breach which is a way to get a card advantage in red Looking at Walking Ballista, which is a very famous combo piece, uh, Felidar Guardian, and Kethis the Hidden Hand, um, which does see a lot of play in Commander. So you're looking at four individual pieces that are used in combo decks, although I don't know that much about the, the specific combos. Perhaps Matt can fill us in. I, I know Ballista combos with almost everything. I think there's, last <laughs> I checked, it was like 14,000 different cards it comboed with. Um, <laughs> but but Matt might be able to expand on this a little bit here. Well, yeah, the, the walking ballista, uh, the the combo spell book that we talked about, um, it literally exploded. The whole website crashed when they saw walking ballista. So yes, you are correct. <laughs> uh, but there are so many things walking ballista combos with. The big one that pushed it over the edge was the new Heliod that came out in Theros Beyond Death. So Heliod, you can just give walking ballista lifelink. So whenever you remove one of those counters, then you just have walking ballista deal a damage. And then since you gained life, you put a counter on it again, and you take that counter back off, and you deal a damage, then you gain, and you just repeat that all over the time. But then also you have stuff like Underworld Breach, which comboed out with stuff like Lotus Field, so you generated a ton of mana, you cast all sorts of spells with just a random common out of Gate Crash that it just went nuts with. It was insane to watch, but also fell at our Guardian. Um, it was a standard combo deck with Sahili Rai. Well, it just mm. happened to turn up in Pioneer as well. And then Kethis the Hidden Hand was a very, very special specific combo deck um, with Mox Amber and casting all sorts of things like that. But also it was just very redundant. It was a very hard deck to play too. Um, All of those combos, it was just so hard for people to interact with combos in Pioneer at the time. Watsy rightfully stepped up and just said, you know what, we're just going to try to push combo decks aside a little bit. Well, and I think you said the key word is is interacting. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, combo is a thing that exists in every format. Um, In our format, we have force of will to deal with combos and we have you know every counter spell ever printed and in every amazing removal spell at instant speed ever printed um you're you're running syncopate and then you know things like that in 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 pioneer your options to respond to combo are much more limited than they are in particularly the the older eternal formats and things like commander where um you have all the pieces and you just didn't in Pioneer and still to a degree don't. Well, and, and yeah. another thing too, that I know you said it earlier, Dana, about some other decks, having three opponents versus just one, it takes all the pressure off just one person required yep. to have the answer or they just lose. There's right. three other people that means, oh, Dana's going to play his combo now. Joey or myself or our guest on, e- on twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. <laughs> uh, there, there's three other people that are have an opportunity to do something to, to throw you off your combo. 
with Pioneer, there aren't that many ways to interact, especially game one. If you're playing a certain deck, you may not have any way to interact with an Underworld Breach and you just lose as soon as they cast it. So the, the fact that there are three opponents means that there's more chances to interact with a lot of these combos too, which is why outside of Walking Ballista, none of these see a ton of play in Commander. Right. All right, Matt, you just plugged our stream again, which kind of reminds me of a challenge, the stats that I've got planned for this episode. So how about we take a break from talking about those cards that were banned in other formats and we get to challenging some stats. It's one of our favorite segments here on the show where we take a critical look at the data on EDHREC because, you know, there's a whole ton of it, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think the cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes I think the cards are seeing too little play. And uh, that's one of those challenges that I've got here. You're going to have to bear with me because it's a really interesting one and it happened on our stream, twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast, and we had special guest Aaron Radney, awesome fantasy illustrator, on the show. He was playing his Marin of Clan Neltoth deck, and he played a card that kind of blew my mind. And I'm a dedicated Marin player, so... I mean, you guys have, you guys know it's pretty difficult to get Joey to budge on one of his precious decks, right? Like, it's weird when Joey, the, I added this card to my deck, and it's weird when that happens. Like, <laughs> Just tell us the card, Joey. Just tell us the card. Okay, so Aaron played against me the card Mitotic Slime. This is a 5-mana 4-4 four, four ooze, and when it dies, you get two 2-2 two, two green oozes that say when they die, they make 1-1 one, one oozes. So it is basically seven bodies on a single card. On its face, that probably doesn't sound too impressive, except that Marin is just so famous at being an aristocrat that if you pair this with, say, a Zulaport Cutthroat effect, for example, this can be seven death triggers all on one card. That's the same reason that I play Avenger of Zendikar in my Marin deck. Like, I've played cards like Deep Forest Hermit in my Marin deck to try and get as many bodies as possible to get a bunch of those Zulaport death you know, life drainy triggers. Mitotic Slime, Aaron was keen to point out, only shows up in 57 of the over 3,000 Marin decks. And when I saw the way that he used it in that game to just blood artist us to bits, I was very, very impressed. So Aaron, this one's for you. Kudos on the Mitotic Slime. You have made a soulless, heartless <laughs> necromancer like myself budge and actually put a card into one of my most long-standing decks. If you can get me to change a card in my deck, that I feel like is very, very impressive. So kudos <laughs> to you. This card is really cool. And I just kind of can't stop gushing about it because I can't wait to drain your guys' life with all of the bodies that this card produces. <laughs> well, thank you, Aaron, for ruining so many future games with, <laughs> with Joey on twitch.tv slash edhrec. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm done with mine. Let's move on, Dana. How about you? What's your challenge this episode? Um, so despite this being an uncommon from Brigadian Masks, this was not my suggestion. This was brought <laughs> to us. Why don't I believe you? <laughs> this was brought to us by Sean, a Patreon supporter in our Discord channel just for channel challenges stat suggestions and the card is Rishadin footpad so it's three and a blue for a human pirate um, when Rishadin footpad comes into play each opponent sacrifices a permanent unless they pay two mana it's currently only in 512 decks and in particular it's only in five percent of admiral beckett brass decks um, up until commander legends we had a pretty limited amount of decent pirates out there, although we've got quite a few more now in this set. Um, but forcing people to pay two or lose something is a pretty decent ask. People generally aren't leaving two mana free, and if they have left two mana free, it's usually for a reason, and forcing them to spend it is still kind of a win. So in a situation where you have a limited amount of pirates to run, and you have a card that is always going to generate some sort of value, 
Plus, it's ran in a deck that tends to run blink effects oftentimes, even if it's just to abuse Dockside Extortionist, which is also a pirate. Um, there's just a little bit of added utility there as well. I think it's a pretty good card, and it should be in more than 5% of Beckett Brass decks for sure. <laughs> That's a, a really interesting one. I, I still am not entirely positive if that wasn't a random hipster card that you picked out personally. You just <laughs> pretending that it was a Patreon submission. I'm it's my sure. fake patron that, name that I use. It does sound like something Dana would do. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's an obscure enough card that it seems right up your alley, Dana. All right, Matt, let's move it to you. What is your challenge? So my challenge is kind of for an upcoming commander, but also looking back, um, there's a lot of Toughness Matters decks on edhrec.com. If you go to the themes tab, you'll see all sorts of different themes just for whatever you might happen to be wanting to do. And Toughness Matters is a, a theme that people build a lot of. You have Dorn the Siege Tower, you have all sorts of different Toughness Matters types of commanders out there. And one card that isn't showing up on the page at all is Orin Frostfang. This is one of my favorite cards. I mean, of course I'm gonna tell people to play it. Uh, it is three green green for a two six snow creature, which is a snake. Uh, attacking creatures you control have death touch. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. This card is, it, it's so good. It, it, I play it in my Miri Weatherlight Duelist deck, and that doesn't even care about toughness matters, but when you look at all these different things that it's doing, it makes it very hard for your creatures to be blocked because they all have death touch. So even your your one power creature, it's going to kill whatever it's you know is blocking it. But also people don't want to block it, so they don't, but then you just draw a card for it. It makes combat so hard to navigate for your opponents. But also with you know the new Toughness Matters commander coming out in Commander Legends, you have Kolfenor the Last U. Mm. It's gonna love this. It's a two six, so it has a big, big toughness score. Uh, it's not it. It's not showing up on Toughness Matters page at all. And I think that is wrong. So if you're looking for a solid card to add, you should definitely give Orin Frostfang a go. The best it's doing actually is 34% of Door in the Siege Tower decks, which is a fine number, but nowhere else for no other commander. And I think that is wrong. So if you need a good solid five drop, it's got a big butt. It's got that six toughness. It's going to make your creatures very hard to block. And also you're going to draw cards. What is not there to love? <laughs> uh, it's so good. Orin Frostfang, folks, if you have a Toughness Matters deck, just find a spot. I, I think that this might be one of our most classic Challenge the Stats segments ever, actually, because I'm talking about a card that gives you a lot of death triggers. Matt is talking mm -hmm. about attacking stuff. And then Dana found a card from what set was it again? I don't know. It was in <laughs> 1974 or whatever. So, like, this is just, it's very quintessentially EDH Rec Gas Challenge. It was from the, the original Dungeons & Dragons handbook. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Dana's Challenge the Stats come from 1849. All right, so anyway, with that done, let's move back into our main topic. We've got a couple of other formats that we want to take a look at. Matt, take us through Modern. What cards are banned in Modern that have some popularity here in Commander? So the first is going to be a little group of, of artifacts that we see. They're all pretty powerful. They do some very neat things. And they actually, they carry over pretty well into Commander. Uh, we're going to talk about Sensei's Divining Top. We're going to talk about Skull Clamp and Chrome Mox. Now, Sensei's Divining Top is the probably one of the most annoying cards, if you're me, to play against because people activate okay. it 13 times per turn. Um, <laughs> but you get to look at the top three cards of your library. You get to kind of navigate what is coming up and, and do some top deck manipulation. Skull Clamp just is amazing. It's an equipment, but also gives whatever creature is equipped to it minus one, mi or plus one, minus one, and, and that makes it pretty bad. But then, oh yeah, you, you draw two cards whenever the equipped creature dies. That card's crazy. That's just, 
it's so crazy. I, I think that's one card that all three of us play in, in more than one deck. Um, but Chrome Mox is just a fast mana piece that uh, it's not that hard to really get rid of cards uh, to make Chrome Mox work that well. And it's just a very, very powerful mana rock. Yeah, I of the three, Skull Clamp is definitely seeing the most play in like mm-hmm. sixty nine, excuse me, sixty seven thousand uh, decks. So that's really intense, and that's great. No matter whether you're playing like really aggressive deck because you're attacking a whole lot, so your creature's dying, or you're playing an aristocrat's shell like I always tend to do, you're just going to draw cards and recoup any losses. It is strangely one of those equipment that would actually be worse if it gave more toughness to the creature yep. that it was attached to, yep. which is just insane. The other ones do feel like maybe they're a bit more specialized. I remember a time a while ago when I was like, oh, Sensei's Divining Top, I would probably put that in every deck if I could, but now I'm not sure that I actually feel that way. I'm not sure that it goes into every single deck because the density of draw effects that we have nowadays in commander can be so great that you'll just see more cards if you play more draw spells and enough of the good ones that the you know subtle fine-tuned top deck manipulations can kind of just be ousted by you drawing 10 cards or something like that so it does feel a little bit more specialized nowadays at least in my experience um you know one thing we should point out too here it's become much more apparent here in the modern list but it's it's been a trend when we go back to look at the band in standard list we're looking at cards that show up in one percent one percent two percent of edh decks when mm. we get up through historic and Pioneer, we're looking at like, you know, four, four, eight, five, those kind of numbers. Now we're looking at like, you know, 16%, 10%, 20% for some of these cards. So yep. a- as we've gotten to older and older formats, the representation in EDH for these cards has gone up and up. And that's that trend will continue as we continue to dig into even older formats than modern. Yeah, and I think that very, just speaks to the, the power level of some of these cards too, is you know, Sensei's Divining Top, it's it's a very, very powerful card. You get so much card selection out of it. And Skull Clamp, there's just very little this card doesn't do. And then Chromox, it's just, you. it's a zero mana mana rock. You can just, you know, imprint a card from your hand onto it and you have an extra mana. And it's if you're playing in some high power decks, that's a great addition, you know, if you're trying to power out your commander on turn one. Yeah, I would guess you also get some weird price and ubiquity things as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you wanted to add Euro to your deck and it was a $45 card in standard, it's probably pretty easy to say, ah, I'm just going to wait and see if it drops in price versus something like Ponder or Preordain or Skull Clamp. Those have been around forever. They're pretty easy to find and they're pretty easy to find relatively cheaply. And the price isn't really going to go anywhere for the most part, other than perhaps up for some of these cards. So I think you probably also are seeing representation in that regard. And I would guess also you know, people don't always change their commander decks very quickly either. If you only update your deck once a year, well, you've had a lot of chances to update it since Ponder's been out. You maybe haven't had a lot of chances since Uro has been out. Yeah, no. Well, and, and a lot of these cards too, they've been in pre-cons. Sure. As Skull Clamp has been in pre-cons before. So that, that definitely boosts up the numbers. Yeah, good point. Um, and a couple cards you're going to talk about here in a second, they've all been in pre-cons. So exactly. the, the numbers there are a little bit higher, but also that doesn't take away from their power level at all. Right. And yeah, so Dana, the ones that you just mentioned, Ponder and Preordain, also cards that are banned in modern. And in fact, we'll throw one more on here, Treasure Cruise, mm-hmm. the Delve spell that lets you draw three cards if you get rid of a bunch of stuff in your graveyard, which initially to someone like me, ooh, getting rid of stuff in my graveyard, why would I ever do that? That's <laughs> the worst thing ever. But to draw three cards, actually, I'm kind of tempted. So yeah, those, like you mentioned, 
a lot of popularity, not a huge price tag. And I'm sure that there's some of your personal favorites, too, because <laughs> I know how much you love doing those cantripy draws. Uh, I absolutely do. But but in these formats, they are kind of functionally the same thing as Once Upon a Time and Escape of the Wild, where, where there are tools being used to dig down and find some specific piece you, you want, which is just way less powerful um, in our format than it is in, in these formats. Yeah, very much. Uh, okay, so with those out of the way then, Matt, there are two more here that I'm seeing that are banned in modern that I feel like you've got quite a bit of experience with, no? I've cast both of these many, many times, um, probably more times than I could or should be able to count. So uh, these cards are Deathrite Shaman and Green Sun Zenith. Uh, Deathrite Shaman is probably the best one-mana Planeswalker ever printed. I would go no for so far as to say. Um, yeah. It does pretty much everything. You can exile different cards out of people's graveyards and get any given effect, whether it's, you know, exile land and you you basically turn into a mana dork or you get rid of instant or sorcery and you, you know, have an opponent lose two life or excuse me, each opponent loses two life or you can exile <laughs> a creature card, um, get rid of Joey's, you know, Conrad or, or hey. anything super <laughs> powerful in Joey's graveyard that's inevitably hey. going to be there uh, and you gain two life. It's a great cost. Uh, but Green Sun Zenith also is banned in modern. It's X and a green, and you can just search your library for a green creature that costs X or less, put it on the battlefield, and then uh, you actually shuffle Green Sun Zenith back into your library. Um, Deathrite Shaman is played in 19% of you know Golgari-based decks. Uh, green Sun Zenith is played in 11%. The, there's significant numbers. Both of them are played in over 20,000 decks, and that's pretty some pretty significant numbers. Very, very significant. I have played Green Sun Zenith quite a bit in Commander. Here's a weird confession that I don't think anyone has seen coming. I've never played Deathrite Shaman in Commander. Not saying it's bad, it's just that uh, that's how attached I am to the cards in my graveyard, you guys. <laughs> well, I think Shaman is similar a, a little bit to Divining Top in that you're probably never wrong to put it in a deck that can support it. But I think also it probably gets a little bit uh, maybe even annoying is the right word. Like it's just so fiddly and responsible for like little incremental advantages that I think after a while people just want to run something splashy and fun versus something that's that's so like tightening up the nuts and bolts. Yeah. And well, and Deathrite Shaman kind of relies on what else is going on at the pod. Yeah. Uh, if, right. if you're right. you know if you're playing in a low powered play group. Deathrite Shaman isn't going to be a mana dork very often because they're probably not playing very many fetch sure. lands. If they are, it's, you know, they'll play, you know, uh, Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse, but that's not very reliable either. And people don't like putting caps on how powerful a card is. So in Commander, Deathrite Shaman, it's fine in higher powered playgroups, but in lower, I, I don't think it carries over near as well. And just it scales along with the power. But Green Sun Zenith, if you're playing green creatures, you probably want to give it a look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly play within your budget because I think that that's one that kind of swings a bit in price sometimes. But yeah, like these cards, no card ever exists on its power level in isolation. Power level depends upon context and Deathrite Shaman is a very good example of that. All right. So we just looked through modern. Let's go farther back in time and see how that affects the numbers. Dana, tell us about some cards that are banned in Legacy and how popular they are here in Commander. Um, yeah. So so, you know, looking at the, the legacy ban list here, these really group up very, very nicely. Mm -hmm. Looking at a cluster of the best mana rocks ever printed and a cluster of the best tutors ever printed, essentially. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, let's, let's start talking about the tutors here. We've got Demonic Tutor and Vampiric Tutor, the two 
probably best tutors ever, definitely the two best black tutors ever in 30% of commander decks and 17% um, demonic and vampiric respectively, and mystical tutor in 24% of the blue decks that can run it. Uh, and I would guess those numbers are probably only that low, um, and I'd say that kind of sarcastically, because of the cost of those cards. Demonic tutor yeah. has, been, has been $40, if not more, for quite a few years now. Vamp tutor's been closing in on 100 for for a few years now. And mystical tutor's, you know, I think over 20 now. So um, I, I would wager if those cards were, were less expensive, the the penetration into decks would be higher than it is already, and it's pretty high. Yeah, a Vampire Tutor finally getting a reprint in Commander Legends, yep. actually. So we'll see if that affects the numbers, but it might not affect the price all that much because the demand on these things will never <laughs> be sated. Really and this well. is another good example. We talked about, you know, things like Once Upon a Time, how it's less powerful trying to find one card in 100 than it is trying to find one of four cards in 60. It, not that tutors aren't really, really good, but in commander where you have access to just one of these tutors in in black you have access to both of these but like one of each individual tutor um you just see them less often than you would running a density of four in a 60 card deck so they're great, but they show up less often than they would in another format. Right. But they have this inverse relationship to the Once Upon a Time, I would say, because Once Upon a Time, it, given the increased deck size here in Commander, it's just too swingy. You're really never going to get the benefit the way that you would in a yep. constructed format with 60 cards. Whereas, you know, Demonic Tutor in a 100 card, you're going to find whatever you need. That is anything. You can find that specific piece that you don't want to just hope for that you top deck in the right. next, you know, 92 yeah. cards. Yeah. You will never miss with a demonic tutor or yeah. a vampiric tutor you might miss with once upon a time Absolutely. demonic tutor is just, like it, it's kind of the, the the gold standard if you will as far as tutors and that's why it's so expensive because it's just the best right but you don't need them you don't need to you spend this much no, money on you tutors. absolutely no. do not need tutors Right. Uh, and also, you don't need the fast mana effects that we're seeing either. Um, you, you can totally play them if, if you got them. Go for it. Um, the, well, the, the, the three rocks I was talking about here are Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, and Soul Ring. Um, you know, Soul Ring, everyone has access to. So I guess the price isn't the factor there. But, you know, Mana Crypt, over $200 for a long period of time. Occasionally, it's dipped down just below 100 but it usually right. creeps back up to car payment range. <laughs> and, and, and while Man, while Mana Vault yeah. was you know kind of cheap for a few years, it's also gotten primitively expensive. So we're looking at rocks that are they'll just break your bank. They will just keep you from paying your cell phone bill if you have to put them in a deck. And while they're really really strong, you know we do have workarounds, and your perhaps your pod isn't playing at that speed or that power level. So um, there, there's a lot of considerations about whether or not you should be running these. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically what we've learned is everything that you try to do in Commander, you cannot do in Legacy. Uh, you <laughs> right. can't tutor, you can't play fast mana, and that's just how it, how it goes. Yeah, I, 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 I suppose a little bit. But I also, like, I look at some of these mana rocks that, like, the, the popularity on these, like, Mana Crypt is still showing up in 11% of eligible decks, which is all of the decks because it's, you know, colorless and can go anywhere. And, like... Going back, I guess, to the hubbub about Jeweled Lotus, and I'm sure we're going to hear about this in the YouTube comments, but I prefer Mana Crypt to Jeweled Lotus. There, it's, I yes. said it. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I have I have cast a Black Lotus. I have I have used it. 
I would 100% rather have Mana Crypt. The, the short burst doesn't compare to just how much mana you're going to get over the course of the game because Mana Crypt is, is just there. So now uh, I will the, say, that yeah. I, I'm not sure how much of a, of a negative it is to say a card isn't quite as good as Mana Crypt. <laughs> that isn't perhaps <laughs> the curse um, we think it is, but I, I completely agree. Mana Crypt is yeah. almost always a better card. No, it just it is kind of a, an, an illustration of the self-policing effect that mm-hmm. EDH can have. And like you, you talked about the popcorn earlier at the top of this episode, and it was, as always, extremely funny to watch the EDH community go from, oh, my goodness, this is an auto include to this needs to be banned. Watsi is killing the format to realizing, oh, well, you know, maybe this is only kind of OK in some of my decks and it's not actually quite that. Well, uh, well, I always said that it was dependent upon the commander. It's just like kind of fun to watch that new cycle repeat itself every time that new cards come out. It was it was an interesting conversation to have. But let's circle back. We have a couple other cards that uh, get a decent amount of play in Commander that also are banned in, in Legacy. And those two cards are going to be Strip Mine and Windfall. Uh, so Strip Mine, just tap it to blow up any land, any given land. Um, it's pretty powerful in a format full of more Gaia's Cradles if people have those kind of cards laying around. But even if you're just trying to get rid of you know a certain land that is their only source of red mana, that's still a powerful effect there. And Windfall, we've seen plenty of Windfall decks. That's That's played in 16% of blue decks for crying out loud. Um, mm. Everybody just draws new hands and it's just a, a combo <laughs> card in some people's decks. It's a graveyard filler in other people's decks. It's all over the place. A, a few years back, I went to a small card store um, in the Midwest in a town that didn't really have any other card stores within probably a, a hundred or so miles of it. So anyone who played magic in that area went to the same card store and they had a stack of strip mines there. I mean, it was probably 200 cards in the case that was just all strip mines. And it was so it, so strange for me to see that many strip mines. I asked the, the guy running the shop, like, do you sell that many strip mines? He said, yeah, it's, it's probably our number one selling card. I, I probably sell 30 to 40 strip mines a week because every commander player puts them in a deck. Yeah, well, and now it's been certainly priced out. Now, I, I right, it, it yes. was like a $4 card then. So, you know, it was relatively easy to put one in every deck. When it's 25, that's a whole different deal. Right. Yeah. And here we do have plenty of other workarounds like Ghost Quarter, like mm-hmm. Tectonic Edge. There are plenty of other uh, much more budget friendly versions here in this format. But also, I think that these two cards are a really great representation of like the way that cards scale more powerfully when you have just one opponent. If you have a strip mine and a Crucible of Worlds against a single opponent, and let's say you manage to get some other type of additional land effects going on, like an exploration, you aren't just using this as a utility tool to get rid of their very special lands. You are preventing them from being able to play magic by just completely taking out their entire mana base. And Windfall, too, is a way that, like, in a one-on-one format, you can play out your entire hand and then refuel, and your opponent will refuel at the same amount, but they'll have actually lost some card economy there. Whereas in Commander, that is completely inverted. Like, you actually run a pretty significant risk when you cast Windfall in Commander of giving your opponents the very tools that they need to destroy you. So you need to really mitigate for that in a special way, such as by, you know, playing a wheel deck that actually punishes them for all of the cards that they've drawn. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with Strip Mine. Uh, in a format where you might play two lands in an entire game, blowing up half their mana base is pretty important. <laughs> it's pretty powerful. Yeah, um, it, it, Windfall is is the one I would say I'm surprised to see it um, showing up here and might be in too many decks, perhaps. I, I, I maybe am a little bit biased against wheels, um, but it's absolutely, that's a good point, Joey. It's a whole, the card is a completely different card in Commander than it is in, in Legacy. 
Yeah, well, yeah. it doesn't matter how many cards you give them in Legacy if you're storming out and they just die right. by the time exactly th- you right. would have a chance to cast any of those cards. Because yeah, it's it's a very very powerful combo card in in Legacy. Yeah, so take that lesson from the way that it's used in Legacy and apply that to your games here in EDH, and maybe you can mimic that type of power level here in Commander to emulate the reasons why it's banned in that crazy older format. And um. Man, fellas, that just leaves us with one final format to get to, the vintage format, the oldest of the formats, the OG formats, where cards don't get banned. Cards get restricted. The only cards that are usually banned in vintage are the ones that involve, like, the anti thing, or they involve manual dexterity, or there's the card Scheherazade, which is just like, let's play a game within a game, and we're like, we've seen the movie Inception, but please no for this one. (laughs) Like, you know, there's all of those types of cards. But there actually was a card that got banned in Vintage, like outright banned, which again, just doesn't happen. Matt, tell us all about it. What got banned in Vintage and how's it doing in Commander? So so I feel like I need to drill down on this. Like this is how monumental of an occasion having a card banned in Vintage is. The last time it wasn't part of a cycle, like the Hidden Agenda cards or the Anti cards or whatever was Scheherazade. That's how far (laughs) back you have to go. Um, So when Companion came around in Akoria, that happened to give us Luris of the Dream Den. And this card, the companion mechanic basically was fulfilled automatically. Uh, Joey, we were talking earlier and you had a really good comment. Luris of the Dream Den was banned in Vintage because the companion clause is automatically fulfilled because each permanent mm-hmm. in your starting deck has to have a CMC of two or less, which is kind of similar to why Lutri was banned in Commander, where the clause of every card that wasn't a basic land had to have a different name, was automatically fulfilled in any Izzet deck. Um, right. It's just ubiquitous everywhere. Um, it's pretty crazy that Lurus of the Dream Den made the Mentor decks, the Monastery Mentor type of vintage kind of play lots of non-creature spells decks. Um, Mentor decks stopped playing Monastery Mentor so they could play Luris instead. Um, That's kind of what it did to Vintage. And it's just, it's such a big deal that Black Lotus is legal. (laughs) Like the the actual Lotus and all these like crazy Moxen and the Power Nine and Time Walk and all these spells, those are all restricted, yes, but they're legal. Luris is not. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's just it. Like like we were kind of saying before we actually started recording, it's just like Luris is to Vintage in a way as Lutri is to Commander because the conditions just already met mm-hmm. by the way that that format naturally plays. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, why wouldn't you do this? It's actually not all that difficult. I don't know. It's almost as though starting every game of competitive level magic with a free extra card outside the game that requires almost no deck restriction for your deck to obtain and which creates homogenized gameplay was not the most balanced mechanic <laughs> that they ever designed. How do you really feel, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just that's pretty crazy. How is it doing in EDH, though? How's how's Loris's numbers? Is it as big in EDH as it was in Vintage? Or well, there's 289 decks around with it, so not, not, yeah. not so it's really. close. <laughs> so it's, it's close. <laughs> there, there are 289 Vintage decks, also right. 289 <laughs> Commander decks playing this. Um, yeah. No, there, there's more Vintage decks than that, um, but it's... It, it, the power just does not carry over. I think when we first saw this card, we compared it, um, or we said that really the only deck that you can play this in is Eilie Tireless Pilgrim decks. That's it. As a companion. As a yeah. companion, yes. 
Yeah, and then as its own deck, it's not necessarily doing anything new. Plus, it doesn't have the same color flexibility as it would in the other constructed formats because the hybrid mana there mm-hmm. in other constructed formats can actually be felt and played around with in different types of color decks. Whereas in here, it is actually very restrictive, the color identity situation going on there, which maybe they were trying to rely upon for the purposes. Of, I don't know what was going through their minds when Companion happened. But I don't know, Dana, going back to a point that you made earlier about how like the farther back we go, the more insane the numbers get for the banned cards that we're seeing. I think this is like maybe the uncanny valley dip or sure, like the exception yeah. that proves the rule possibly of what's what's going on here with uh with vintage but man that's just how powerful this particular companion is in magic's oldest format yeah i think at this point we've gotten to we've kind of wrapped all the way around and come back to the other side there you go yeah so okay having looked through all of those cards that were banned in other formats and seeing sort of where that they fall within edh it's fun to just sort of explore and take a look at and it's really cool because i think there's plenty of lessons that we can take from why those cards are powerful in other formats and see whether that power applies here in commander but are there any other final parting thoughts that you guys want to leave with this episode talking about all of these banned cards so the, the big thing that, that it makes me do was just to look at, and, I, and I've mentioned this a few times over the course of the show, it's really made me look at the difference between Commander being a multiplayer format and how multi having multiple people in a pot affects um, the cards compared to these other formats. Whether it's something like Teferi, where you're suddenly affecting the spells of all the people and making them focus on you in a way that it, that doesn't happen in a 1v1 format where they're always focused on you or things like windfall where you're you know giving three people a chance to draw answers versus a format where you maybe even don't care what the one person draws because you're going to win before it matters so that's what i really my big takeaway here is it's really making me want to look a little bit deeper at maybe other cards even that i'm running <clears throat> Um, in, in how they impact Commander in ways that are different than they do these older formats. Yeah, I, I really like that take. Well, and one thing that sticks out to me is kind of how power is defined between different formats, between 60-card and 100-card formats. You know, you see all the the fast mana that is banned in Legacy, but that's kind of how we, we get by in, in a lot of playgroups. I know when we play on, you know, stream, we kind of rely on getting ahead on resources before the other people can. But then, you know, we look at cards that are banned in Commander, you have Prophet of Crufix, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody ever cl- clamored to have that banned in any of the 60-card formats. The same with Paradox Engine. <laughs> but then yeah. I kind of how the power is all relative to what format you're playing, where Prophet of Crufix was, it was just ubiquitous. Like, you just had to play that if you're playing Blue and Green. If you're playing Paradox Engine, it, it was just such a, a powerful combo engine. Whereas in 60 card formats are kind of like, okay, well you spent all that mana. Um, I'm just going to kill you. <laughs> right. So it's, it's just, it's just funny how, how power kind of carries over and translates into different formats. And I would say modern legacy. If you look at those ban lists and the cards that we talked about tonight, those are, that's kind of the sweet spot. If you will of cards that are powerful in commander, not banably powerful. I don't think we, there was a card that we talked about here um, that anybody really thinks on just on a power level wise uh, conversation should be banned. I mean, maybe soul ringed, but it's also a $2 card. So everybody can have it, but Mm. it's just, it's, it's funny just, seeing how that power translates when you cross formats like this. Well, and I think also like looking at these banned lists, you know, for other formats, like I see Windfall, for example, which I think was banned in, in Legacy, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. And I'm just like, what? To my commander brain, I'm just like, I, I sorry, what? Like that doesn't quite. That's a precon card. Yeah. 
Right. And I'm just like, I, that's a perfectly, that that's like, feels like a classic commander card <laughs> and it's seeing a whole bunch of play here. But like those formats would also look at our commander ban list and be like, I'm sorry, what's going on? You, I'm the, the Paradox engine? Wait, Iona? Really? They would, like, that's they would see Sway the of the Stars and giggle at us. Yeah. Right, right. They're just like Worldfire. I don't even know what that one does. Why'd you ban it? Like, <laughs> but here, like, it's a completely different effect. We've got different reasons for banning things. And that's just something that I think is always useful to keep in mind. Is like, why are these cards banned? Because they are totally different, you know, reasons across all of these formats. And sort of comparing notes to them isn't always going to help because there's no equivocation there. There are very different motivations for each of them. And I guess, too, you know, sort of going back to the inspiration behind, you know, why we wanted to do this particular episode, or at least why we thought of doing it, looking at banned cards after all of the discourse and hubbub that happened around a jeweled lotus like i know that that conversation is two weeks old for everyone who's listening to this episode <laughs> but it it was hilarious and it was big <laughs> in our minds when we were we were seeing it but it's just like let's at least play with the cards first before we start throwing a, around a lot of thoughts about like you know ban hammer on this ban hammer on that because looking at a lot of these ban lists it takes like matt i wouldn't have understood half of the you know cards that are banned here without your assistance so thank you for that but like the the cards and the reasons that they get banned can be very multiplicitous if that's a word and like it requires a whole lot of information behind each one of them and that's just you know the type of care and attention that we really ought to put into the conversations that we have about the game and that is my soapbox (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a good enough monologue for us to close the show on now that i've talked your guys' ear off so in any case uh let's call this episode to a close fellas thanks so much for joining me and if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us where is it that they can find us all matt so you can find me on twitter's at mathemus 55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 you can also find us wednesday evenings like dana said uh we're streaming with some pretty ridiculously great guests every week wednesday evenings check your local listings um because time zones <laughs> don't work around here <laughs> wow and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach you can hear me on my other podcast cmdr central and you can find all of us at patreon.com slash and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRECcast on both Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at The Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast. And our thanks to our sponsors, that's TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>